Flavio Junquiera is a committer to Apache Zookeeper. Flavio, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, uh, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Apache Zookeeper began as a sub-project of Hadoop, but was eventually spun out. What problems does Apache Zookeeper solve for Hadoop? Um, so f- for Hadoop today, it solves the problem of uh, pretty much mass selection for, um, f- for the name nodes in, uh, in HDFS. Did it, did it solve more problems in the past? Um, in what sense? For Hadoop, you mean? So, so did people used to use it for, for a wider array of problems, or, or has it always just been mainly about, about leader election? Um, not really. So it, it's, it's about a number of things. Um, I think master election is a, a pretty typical use case. Um, lots of, uh, of products end up using uh, master election and other things as well. Um, and how would you define master election? Well, so you have a number of processes in your application, and you want one of them to arise as, as, as a leader and perform some uh, master tasks on behalf of, uh, of the cluster. And why is leader election so important to a distributed system? Um, why that's important? Because a lot of the, the designs we have, they're based on the master. You have, you have some sort of head nodes that, uh, that makes decisions on, on behalf of the cluster. Does the leader form a bottleneck if all the clients have to serialize their processes through the leader? It could be, but uh, you, you, you don't have to have a single leader in the cluster. So, for example, if you have, if you have a, a Kafka cluster, um, each, of, each of the partitions uh, will have its own leader, right? So you don't have to have one single leader for the, the whole cluster. So you can have, um, say, different entities. In the case of Kafka, you have the, the topic partitions, um, and and you can have a leader for each one of those. So it doesn't have to do, have... Do the leaders, through, do the multiple leaders, do they form a hierarchy, or are they just all leaders that are on uh, a, a similar tier of responsibility? No, no, they're independent. So in the, in the, in the example I mentioned, you know, the example of Kafka... Um, so each leader is a leader for a partition, and it's independent of, of the other partitions. And what guarantees does Zookeeper enforce? Guarantees. So Zookeeper guarantees that once okay, so once you get an acknowledgement of, of a right, let's start with rights, um, say you create a Z node. Uh, once you get a response for that, you know, an okay for that, uh, it means that the right is durable. Right, so even if servers crash and come back up, um, you still see you, you're right there. Um, it also guarantees that uh, all rights are totally ordered. So if you write to a Zenode um, and later on you write again to that same Zenode, so everyone's going to observe the same sequence of updates to, uh, to that Zenode. Um, it also guarantees that everyone who reads the state of Zookeeper will observe the same sequence of, uh, of, of updates. Uh, they might not observe uh, at the same point in time because the updates they propagate synchronously to the servers, uh, but they will observe the same sequence. And so, for somebody, for for somebody who doesn't have a uh, much background in distributed systems, so the guarantees that you just stated, why are those correlated, or why are those enabled by the idea of leader election? Um. They are not enabled by by the idea of leader election. So, it, it turns out that um, that uh, the core of Zookeeper all it does is guaranteeing you a a, a consistent view into the updates to, to to Zookeeper. It doesn't tell you anything about about master election. Um, it, it's it's almost by accident that master election ended up being uh, being so popular um, because it, it, again it, it's not something that uh, that. Uh, um, we have embedded into Zookeeper. So if you look at the Zookeeper API, there's nothing about master election, right? But again, because there are so many systems that are designed uh, with this idea of having a head node or a manager, uh, and that manager needs to be fault-tolerant and needs to have some sort of reliable repository for metadata, uh, that ended up being something like Zookeeper. Right, okay. So could you talk more about Zookeeper's API? Just explain maybe the core, what are the core, the most important functionality pieces of Zookeeper's API? Yeah, so, so 
you can essentially you manipulate Z nodes. Okay, and Z nodes live in a hierarchy of Z nodes. So you can have a Z node, and, and that Z node can have children, uh, and the children can have children, and so on. Uh, with the API, you can you can create Z nodes, you can delete Z nodes, you can change the the, the data of Z nodes conditionally, which is a very powerful feature. Um, you can read the state of uh, of, of Z nodes, uh, so you can get the data of a Z node. You can re you can get the list of children of a Z node, um, and you can check if a Z node exists. So those are the 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 basic or the core six calls that are that Zookeeper offers for you to manipulate the, the Z nodes. And how do people use that API to develop leader election? Um, so you're asking for for explicit recipe how how you would do that? Well, you so you said it's almost an accident that people ended up using this API for leader election. So I'm I'm just curious, like how did that accidental implementation manifest? Oh, um, it's not accidental in the sense that uh, it's not allowed. It's in the sense that uh, you have lots of recipes. You can implement locks. You can implement barriers. You can implement master election. Um, you can implement a number of things. And and mass selection turned out to be one pretty popular, uh, again because many systems are designed like that with a master with a manager. Um, now how you do how you do mass selection there? So the simplest way is is to create a Z node. So you create a Z node. If you are able to create it, then then you are the you are the leader. You are the master. Um, and it works because if someone else tries to create it, remember that the, the, the rights are totally ordered. If someone tries to create it, uh, the create's gonna fail. And so you know that someone already holds the, 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 the holds leadership. Right? And another feature that is that is important, I think I didn't mention when I was talking about the core API, is that the Z nodes can be ephemeral uh, and or sequential. So ephemeral in the in the case of master election is important because if you Say you go there, you try to create the the the, the master locks, you know, um, and you can't because it already exists. You say, okay, cool, there is already a a, a master, um, but you know that master may crash in the future, so I want to be informed if that master uh, goes away. So when the client creates the master Zeno, you know, uh, it makes it ephemeral, which means that uh, anyone who is interested in, in learning when that Z node goes away because the the, the client has gone has gone away. Um, uh, can can subscribe to that to notifications, right? To a notification to uh, to the Z node or about Z node. And when Zookeeper nodes, when Z nodes are watching each other, how is that watching implemented? Like how do, how does a zookeeper how does a Zookeeper node become aware that some something else something has something has occurred on another node in the data center? Oh, so it, again, you create a Z node and you say, you know, I want I want the Z node to be ephemeral, and another client, if the client is interested uh, in in the status of uh, of that initial initial client, uh, it it reads the state of the ephemeral Z node and sets a watch on it. Okay, and so um, let's call the clients A and B. Okay, so A comes and creates an ephemeral Z node. Um, that ephemeral Z node is associated to the session of client A. Uh, if client A crashes, its session are going to expire. Zookeeper is going to detect that and is going to delete the ephemeral Z node. Um, now, if client B is interested in what's going on with A, uh, it can it can set a watch on that ephemeral Z node. And in the case the session of client A expires. Um, B can be notified uh, of of the event because the Z node is going to be deleted automatically by Zookeeper. Right. So um, users can also manage configuration using Zookeeper. Um, is Zookeeper used more for configuration of failovers and leader election, or is Zookeeper also used for application level configuration like user data yeah so if by user data you mean like the the, the end users of your online service like yes. if you yeah so um i would say it's not a great idea to do that because that's more like uh, bulk data so that's more suitable for data stores that are that that 
deal with bulk data. And so Kipling is really more about metadata, about the data, right? So, and, and Zookeeper is really good with small data um, updated infrequently, which is typically the case with, uh, you know, metadata about data, not the data itself. Um, but, you and, know, so, so if, you, if, um, if you're after examples of metadata, right, so I, I can give you a few. Um, so in the Kafka example I mentioned before, you have, you know, metadata about topic partitions. Um, you know, in, in, in storm clusters, you can, uh, Zookeeper is used to, to manage uh, the, 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 the cluster, for example, stopping and starting uh, workers. So Solar, uh, solar, use, um, solar Cloud uses that to manage uh, a shared metadata. Um, Bookkeeper also in the category of, uh, of log replication like Kafka, it's, um, uh, it stores ensemble metadata in Zookeeper. Uh, there's also service discovery and registration like companies, um, uh, for example, Twitter and Pinterest have, have described in blog posts. Um, so things like that are, are examples of metadata that have been successfully stored in, a, in Zookeeper and used in production. Those are super useful examples. Um, so how, like, how does Zookeeper actually store the data? Because I know that it's different than, you know, how the, how the data would be stored in just like a key value store or how a database stores data. So, so when you say that Zookeeper stores data, what, what is the underlying process there? Right. So Zookeeper keeps the, the, the state main memory. Uh, it keeps the data tree in, in memory. But it also writes uh, to disk uh, in two ways. It, it writes a transaction log. So every time, um, every time you submit an update and that update is processed, the, the service needs to log to the write to the transaction log. And and um, periodically, servers uh, they generate a snapshot of the data tree and and also write to disk. And why is so? Explain a little bit more why Zookeeper is useful for a system that has many reads but fewer writes. Right, um, because we can. It's it's sort of easy in Zookeeper to increase to scale read throughput, but not as easy to scale write throughput. Um, so to scale to scale uh, read throughput, you just have to add more servers. Uh, in the form of uh, new followers or new observers. Um, followers are the ones that actually vote in the replication protocol. Observers, they just learn the result of the replication. And so if, if you add, again, if you add more servers, you can increase your, your, your uh, read throughput um, capacity. But that's not the same with writes. If you add more servers or more voters, you're actually uh, reducing the, 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 the write throughput capacity. Right, because uh, every time you write, you have to write, you, you write to all servers, um, plus you need to wait for, uh, for uh, um, you know, votes or acknowledgements from a quorum to be able to make progress. So that makes the, 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 the writes more expensive. And if I update something on my Zookeeper cluster, how does the update propagate to the other Zookeeper nodes? Um, okay, so the path the path is uh, it's more or less like this. So you 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 as a client, so you have a client, you submit a, a request. The request goes to the server that the client's current connected to. Um, let's assume that it's a follower; it's not it's not the leader. Um, the follower uh, forwards the request to the leader. The leader. Uh, generates a state update, so essentially transforms the the, the, the request into an idempotent transaction. Um, then it proposes that transaction to the to the to the ensemble. Um, it waits for acknowledgments from a from a quorum. So so that acknowledgement essentially tells the leader that it has been written to a disk of a, of a, of a quorum. And uh, and once it receives that, it sends a commit message to uh, to uh, again to the to the ensemble, and uh, and whoever uh, got initially the, the the update from uh, from from the oh, sorry the request from the client once it receives this commit informs the client that uh, that the operation has succeeded. Does that make sense? That, yes, yes, that makes complete sense. Do do people use Zookeeper as a message queue? Um. Not really. 
Okay. What about a notification system? Yeah, so it has been used as a, as a notification system. Okay, is is that a, an appropriate uh, implementation, or is that uh, you know a something where it's not the the best the best use of Zookeeper? No, I think a notification uh, a notification service is uh, is uh, is a good use of Zookeeper. Um, I wouldn't say it's a bad one. So message queue. The problem with message queues is um, if you're trying to create many of them, um, it, it won't be. You're going to induce a lot of writes into uh, into Zookeeper, so the workload's not going to be. Um, Great, right? So your uh, your throughput, your uh, your performance is not going to be great if you do that on top of Zookeeper explicitly. But that's part of the reason why people have designed and implemented systems that do that on top of Zookeeper. Right. Okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about Zookeeper in the present day. Um, how does the how does the implementation of Zookeeper uh, compare to like if you could if you could reboot Zookeeper today and start completely from scratch, is there anything you would do dramatically different? Um, okay, dramatically different. There's one thing um, I, I wish we have, uh, you know, that I think we could have done differently. Um, this day is more evident that we should have done it at the time we, we started thinking about it, but we didn't make a lot of progress, which is. Um, every zookeeper more designed as uh, to be like used as a service, right? So I think I think the multi-tenancy features of uh, of that we have for zookeeper today are are not sufficient to have it used as as a service. And there are things that we could have done differently to to make it better in that direction. Can you elaborate more on that? What do you mean by the, the multi-tenancy problems? Yeah, so if, if you you can have one ensemble shared by by say um, multiple tenants, say that you 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 know you have a company, you have multiple products that rely on Zookeeper, and you, you want to share uh, one ensemble across you know two or three products. Um, the problem is that today there is no, there is really no guarantee that uh, that one work workload is not going to affect the other, right? And sometimes uh, rights to zookeeper they are um, they are uh, uh, they're sort of sensitive to uh, to latency, and you don't want the workload of one tenant uh, messing up with, with your own workloads. Um, th there is the security issue as well. Um, so you want to make sure that that data um, uh, is not accessible by other by other tenants. Um, so we have ACLs, but uh, I, I think we could we, we could you know in the case of a real multi-tenant um, uh, environment, you would need to have stronger uh, security features, right? Just separate the, just separate the data of the of the different tenants. Interesting. So so are you saying that uh, you know if if Zookeeper were more uh, were built were built more as a serviceable or a, a platform that could be made as a service. Um, security would be would be one uh, one potential service application. Um, no, no, I was, I was referring more to uh, to, to secu uh, securing the data that the different customers or the different tenants are storing in Zookeeper. Oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. right. Um, but another thing to be said is. Is this um, if you have different tenants, they most likely they don't need uh, their their requests to be ordered together. Right? So right now, one zookeeper ensemble is going to offer you uh, an engine to order everything that goes through it. So it's a single engine, right? So everything is ordered together. So if you have multiple tenants uh, sharing the same set of servers, you can. Um, um, then you would have to go through the same ordering engine. Uh, of course, you can try to deploy multiple uh, instances of Zookeeper on the same servers and you know use different ports and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but the problem is now you start you, you start having a just separate disk traffic as well uh, because you know we rely on 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 a dedicated transaction log device for uh, for, for high performance. Um, so what would you, what would you do? Like you use uh, multiple disk drives and uh, one one independent um, sorry one for each of the the the, the different tenants. 
that starts becoming tricky to, to, to do in practice. So we could have done uh, something along the lines that uh, we did for Bookkeeper, right? So aggregating the logs of, uh, of, of, of different, say, clients uh, and, and storing that on the same disk. Uh, but that that's not the that's not what happens today. Does the usage of Zookeeper differ at all in in real time or streaming applications uh, versus like batch applications? Um. So I, I think I think in general, and it's beyond streaming. Uh, is you know uh, near real time or online or offline. And, Whatever you want to call it, so I think it's 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 beyond that even. Um, it, it's more about uh, having instances of something and, and needing and, and and having the need to store the metadata for each of those instances in uh, in you know somewhere in in a reliable fashion. So again, if you have you know a Kafka a Kafka cluster or some cluster, you, you need you need to know the, the workers that are that are there, you know the different uh, the different workloads you're running, um, perhaps different uh, um, different customers even, and separate all that and sort that metadata in a, in a, in a reliable repository. Not only reliability is important, you know, the, uh, durability, but also consistency as well. Right. Okay. So you've mentioned the the Kafka uh, example several times. Has the usage of, or has the synergy between Kafka and Zookeeper, has that changed over time, or or has has that stayed pretty static? How Kafka uses Zookeeper? I think it has evolved. Um, it has evolved in in a number of ways. I think it's. Uh, I think the core, um, the core thinking around how to use Zookeeper to to sort the metadata for topics and, uh, and partitions and so on. Um, I think that that's pretty much remained the same as I understand it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit new to the to the community, so uh, you know, someone in the community might have a different thinking around that. But that's my understanding. Um, uh, yeah, but there are things that are, that end up changing because we realize that there's a better way, perhaps, to use Zookeeper to leverage Zookeeper to do a particular task. Uh, but again, in general, I think the high level thinking pretty much remains the same. And so I am, I'm curious. You know, you say you're you're new to the to the Kafka community. Um, so what is that uh, in terms of a, just a community and how you how you contribute to a to a open source project within the community? What are some uh, some tips for how you get acquainted with you know if you're if you're you know so for example you've been working on Zookeeper for a long time and and now you know if you're if you're getting involved or you're interacting with the Kafka community, what is that process? Like, do you have any suggestions on on how to be a good communicator from as a representative of one project communicating with uh, representatives of another project? Yes, um, that's that's an interesting question. Um, but I'm I'm finding the experience very interesting because even though uh, Apache Kafka and Apache Zookeeper uh, and even Bookkeeper for that matter, they are all Apache projects. They are very different communities. Uh, the, the way of 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 dealing with uh, changes, dealing with uh, contributors, and and you know managing the community in general is is, is fairly different. So one thing that I, I believe is important is that if, if you're interested in the community, um, just go and interact with the community. I know that sometimes it's hard because people are not super responsive, uh, but that's not because they're evil. It's just because you know all of us have uh, you know day jobs as well, and we have to do stuff. Um, because I've seen lots of complaints on Twitter, for example. You know, no one responds to my Jira. You know, I posted this like a year ago, and no one has said anything. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of unfortunate that these things happen, but but you know, so if you if you put some pressure, you typically end up getting some answers, especially if you put some effort into it, right? So uh, another thing that I, I, I strongly discourage is that people go uh, out there and, and, and complain about projects. Um, you know, so so. Even though we talk about projects, we're really building communities here, right? So if, if there's something you don't like, you know, tr try to contribute back and make it better. I mean, it's it's part of making it open source. Absolutely. What is the what are the differences between uh, a open source community and the community within a company? Like the ethos of a company versus the ethos of an open source project. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's. Um, 
that's an interesting one. So, because you mentioned that that there's this, there's you know, every open source project has its own ethos, has its own personality, and I think that's also true, you know, from company to company. You know, if you if you work at Google, you know, it's a different attitude, a different ethos within the company than. Facebook, for example. But my question is more about what is the general? What are the general differences between ethos within a company versus ethos within a, an open source project? Yeah. Um, so I think in the open source community, uh, one big difference is we are not we are not in the same organization. We are all contributors to to the same project, and and each person or each group involved in the in the community um, will have different preferences, different priorities, and managing that is probably one of the big challenges of a of, a, of an open source um, community. In companies, uh, there are there are typically um, goals that need to be met and so on, and everyone needs to be on board, and so and so um, there are there are clear guidelines of, uh, of, of what you should be doing. Where in the open source world, you, you're always trying to accommodate the, the, the constraints and the you know, requirements of everyone. So let's talk about another, uh, another couple of projects. So how is Zookeeper used in an architecture with Apache Mesos? Okay, so I, have, I haven't interacted much with the community. Uh, I, know, uh, I know about Mesos uh, from reading about it. I, as I understand it, he uses Zookeeper essentially for leader election and advertising uh, the, the 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 master to uh, you know to the members of of a cluster. Okay, so so it's it, there's nothing uh, there's nothing like totally totally groundbreaking or, or or unexpected in the intersection of Zookeeper and Mesos that you know of. No, yeah, not that I'm aware of. Okay, what about what about Zo- the interaction of Zookeeper and Docker? Yeah, I'm, I'm not aware of Docker directly using Zookeeper. Um, I know that there are applications that that have been uh, have their own Docker files and, and such for for Zookeeper because they rely on Zookeeper. But but that's pretty much it. So I have okay. I, I have read about the Swarm product, um, which has a manager, and I've talked about some Raft backend for master election and log replication. But that doesn't sound like it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be using Zookeeper. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, do do you know if there's any uh, like di- inherent difference between um, managing coordination among Docker? I mean, would you manage coordination among Docker images versus managing coordination between actual machines? Or maybe maybe that's that's uh, that's not a, a domain you have any expertise or understanding in. But um, well, so. Know, maybe there's... <laughs> I, I can I can see I can see the need of of coordinating these things. Um, so you have again, yeah, as you said, you have different machines, and you need to deploy containers, and maybe you want to be fault tolerant, and uh, and uh, well, not only fault tolerance, but maybe you want to do load balancing, and 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 move the shuffle containers around, and you could use a component that is uh, based on Zookeeper or some something that is Zookeeper like to do it. Right. Yeah. So. So I, I I totally see why one would do that. Interesting. Okay. So you know you've been around open source for a while, and I'm curious about the rate of innovation uh, in the present day and how that has changed relative to the past. Is the amount of innovation and new products in the Apache space is it growing to the point where it's like too big to follow everything that's going on in the community? Yeah, that uh, that's that's a good question. Um, it, it probably depends on on which community you're talking about. So if you're talking about Apache in general, I, I would I would definitely agree with you. So I I am not exposed to uh, to everything that uh, that Apache projects are doing. Actually, I would say that I have very narrow view of what's going on in Apache. Um, but but inside communities themselves, I, I think. I think they try as much as possible to be, um, you know, to provide visibility across everything that's going on. And so it's it's not too hard to have an idea 
of uh, of all the topics that are being um, that are being covered, uh, all the efforts that are, that are going on. Even if you don't know uh, the exact code or you have reviewed the exact code that is doing it. What are the what are the areas in the open source community, at least in the domain that you focus on, that are really exciting to you right now? Yeah. So. Um, Especially because I've been <laughs> I've been working with Confluent right now, uh, I find this I find this area of uh, of, of stream processing um, very exciting. We have been talking about ex- uh, stream processing for for a long time, but um, but I, I don't think there is there is yet a, a great solution for for corporations to just deal with with stream processing in a, in the right way. And so uh, I, I feel the confluence is um, uh, is, is going to develop something that's really cool, and I'm happy to be uh, to be participating in that. Um, I also think that uh, all this container effort that you mentioned is um, is super exciting. Uh, there is, you know, Docker has um, has has been great to sort of uh, create this uh, all this uh, this uh, hype and interest around containers. Uh, people are super excited about doing it, and so there's a whole set of tools and a whole a whole number of mechanisms being designed uh, in the container space. And I think that could uh, that could change the landscape of how we we deploy applications, right? Not only in data centers, yeah, but yeah, in the definitely. cloud and and all that. And so, what um, like I, I actually did an interview with uh, with a Confluent employee. Um, and, and it was really interesting. So what, what has been, what is exciting to you about Confluent? What is exciting to you about Kafka? What's exciting to me about, uh, about Confluent and Kafka? Um, so, so Kafka is a piece of technology that, that has worked very well in production. Like a number, um, the number of successful uh, use cases, even uh, when, I was, uh, when I was working for Microsoft, we, uh, we had use cases of, uh, of Kafka uh, in, internally. And and I think I do see a great potential in, in using that core, that Kafka core, to build a great uh, stream data platform. And I th- that's exactly what we're trying to do in uh, in uh, in Confluent. And there's been an explosion of managed big data companies that offer a paid serviced version of these various Apache projects. Like for Hadoop, there's Cloudera and Hortonworks. For Kafka, there's Confluent. For Spark, there's Databricks. One of the themes I've encountered in the interviews this week is that the modern data center is made really complex by the fact that you have all these managed providers. And you, if you're a guy in a data center, you have to work with support people from each provider. So I'm curious what you think about this. Like, uh, how, like how will the interactions... I mean, how are the interactions in the present and how will they change in the future between managed big data companies like Cloudera and Confluent and, and the companies that purchase these products? Yeah, that's, um, that's a good question. So I think, I think companies like Cloudera and Hortonworks so far, as, as I understand it, um, they have tried to cover as much of the space as possible. They even though they uh, they brand themselves as uh, as Hadoop people, they do offer a, a number of other services. You know, so they support Zookeeper, they uh, support Storm, and 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 all those things. Um, it's it's a valid concern. Uh, I'm not sure I have a great answer to it, but it's I'm not sure it's very different from the situation of uh, of data centers today. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting is like the so the idea of you know Cloudera or Hortonworks trying to cover the entire ground. I, I wonder sometimes like if they're spreading themselves too thin because it's not you know it, it it's it seems like a like a they're kind of going for this tight coupling strategy uh, in in a, an environment that's kind of exploding in in like a Cambrian explosion of of just different products. You know, I wonder if it's risky to to ha- you know as a product strategy to have, you know, to to try to cover all the bases of the quote b- like big data, big data platform. 
Yeah, um, I, I see it slightly differently. Um, so if, if you're spread too thin, as you say, um, it can become a problem because you, you, you promise that you're going to support uh, a given system, but you just don't have enough to, uh, to actually do it. So if you start specializing, then you can create partnerships to do this. But then, sure, uh, then, then there is a problem that you are mentioning before. You have too many players in, a, in the game. Um, I guess the challenge there would be to find a way of, of creating these partnerships without actually overwhelming um, customers. Yeah, that's it's interesting tension. So um, you started a company recently called Rescale Limited. What what are your plans for the company? Um, so right now, uh, I, I don't I don't have a big vision for the company. It's it's essentially a company I have started to um, to be able to work with others. And in particular, I've been working with with Confluence. That's uh, that that's my main commitment right now uh, through this company. Interesting. Is it? Are you focused on on Zookeeper, or is it just distributed applications uh, in general? It's a this this stream data platform that the company is okay. uh, that, that I'm working with uh, on with uh, with Confluent. Interesting. How does building a company compare to just working on open source? Um, in what sense? Well, I mean, you know, when you're building a company, you're building something, you're building a product, and 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 you want to sell it. So I mean, like, well, I mean, you're 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 selling your services. So so it's sort of different than working on open source, where you're, uh, you know, you're just building something, uh, with you know less of an intent. So so I guess what I'm what I'm interested in is the the creative process of building a company versus the creative process of contributing to an open source project. Yeah, so if you are contributing to an open source project, um, so when I started participating, I was, uh, I was in a research organization. Um, and so the research organization uh, itself didn't have any sort of requirements with respect to the open source project other than just uh, helping, uh, helping others to build their, their own products, um, like with Zookeeper. But we were supporting... Uh, internal internal properties that had their own requirements and goals, and so if you are contributing, most likely you you have uh, your own requirements. We are probably coming from your customers, and this is not very different from uh, from from you know starting your own company. You have your customer, your customer needs um, you know express needs uh, or needs, and you have to fulfill that uh, you know. Through the open source, if that's if that's what you're doing. Why didn't a company ever form around Zookeeper? When you know when you see this this explosion of companies that have productized open source projects, um, you know why why didn't why didn't Zookeeper ever evolve into a company? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, I think it could have evolved. It's just that uh, that uh, us. Um, Doing the, the the project never got together in a way that that you know uh, we could do it. I think it's just uh, I, I think it's just how things played out. It's not uh, it's not that it's uh, at least in my view it's not that it's not worth it. It's not that the the, the project is bad or anything. It's just um, it's just how things played out for each one of the, the individual players involved in the project. So what what do you think are the things that people would pay for around the the zookeeper space? Like what do you wish was in the marketplace that customers could come and pay for and say, "Hey, I want I want zookeeper plus this." So the, in the companies I have worked for, there has always been a specific uh, questions or or asks around zookeeper. Uh, not all of them ended up going to into the open source project. Like when when I was in Microsoft, there was this wish of uh, of offering Zookeeper as a service, and and as I mentioned, we didn't have we don't have all the mechanisms necessary to uh, to actually make it make it happen. And uh, and so I, I think a lot of companies that they use Zookeeper, um, they end up getting frustrated because they they 
you know, they, they want, they hear about Zookeeper, they think they can use it, but sometimes it, they don't know the best ways of doing it. Uh, you know, there are companies like Calvary and Hortonworks that provide some support, but my understanding at least is that uh, it, it's not their core business. So, so com- I have a question. Oh, oh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to, you know, just to wrap up, I, I, uh, a company around Zookeeper would essentially offer that, you know, so consulting, helping other companies to, to leverage Zookeeper to do their own kind of business uh, and, and perhaps extend uh, uh, f- uh, to features that are necessary to those specific uh, lines of business. So I think there's a, there's an interesting interplay between academia and business in the world of, of distributed systems. Um, are there any projects in academia that you find exciting right now? Or I don't know how closely you, keep, you, tr- you track academia, but is there anything that's kind of uh, on the bleeding edge that you notice that is exciting to you? Um, yeah, so there's one project that I, that I have participated. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think it's it's in the stage that uh, that that you're referring to. I don't think it's uh, even close to being ready. But is this project that we have done um, trying to harden distributed systems? So the idea is that um, uh, the systems we do today, and that includes Zookeeper, they tend to be crash fault tolerant, right? So they tolerate crashes. But uh, if you have things, uh, if you have, for example, data corruption, you know, so your hardware corrupts your data. Uh, so those those the fault tolerance that exists in those systems won't protect you against it, and so and at the same time, you know, redoing algorithms might not be a great idea because that requires proofs of correctness, and it's it's uh, it's a bit of a pain to, uh, to to redo all these things. And so we were thinking, you know, can we can we do uh, can we derive a scheme so that we can take existing systems and 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 uh, make them more robust uh, automatically, you know, harden them. And uh, and so there is there is this project that we have worked on that's called Libsay, that's for, uh, uh, again, making distributed systems that are crash tolerant, making them automatically uh, robust to, uh, to, uh, to state corruption. Fascinating. Is there is there a, a page or any information on that that I can include in the show notes? Um, there is, yeah, so there's a repository on, on uh, Bitbucket. Um, I awesome. think if you search for Libsay, L-I-B-S-E-I, uh, all one word, then uh, you, you should be able to find it. Fascinating. Okay, cool. Um, so talking a little bit more about, about Zookeeper, um, the, the, the algorithm... Uh, I mean, so as I understand, Zookeeper is is backed by Paxos. That's correct, right? It's, or something similar to Paxos? It, it, it's it's Paxos like, yeah. It's called Zeb, the protocol. Zeb, right? Um, could you talk? Like, has have there been any algorithmic breakthroughs in leader election, or are are the are the Paxos family of algorithms are those still pretty much the gold standard? Right. Um, I like to think of of Paxos, and um, and I, I don't think I'm alone in that uh, in that kind of view. Paxos is more like a, a meta protocol, in the sense that uh, it, it gives you the foundation for a, a for building a replicated state machine. Um, so th- th- that simply means that if you take the the protocol described in the paper, that's not enough to uh, to, to do a real system. You have to to think about the more the, all the messages and all the things that have to to go around it to make it actually uh, actually work. One of the things that uh, that uh, Paxos didn't do out of the box that we had to think a bit more carefully about is the fact that uh, we wanted to to propagate idempotent transactions as opposed to commands. So the whole state machine replication approach is based on the fact that uh, um, you agree on the sequence of commands that the replicas execute. Right? But we didn't want that replicas executing commands. We wanted them to apply state updates. And so, and so 
that that requires a few changes in, in the protocol because now um, the commands that are in your stream over grid upon commands uh, they are not independent anymore. So that there is a dependency because you know so I generate a state updates and then the next state update is going to depend on the previous and 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 so on. So. So th there are some specific uh, or special requirements from the protocol that you need when you're doing those kinds, of, when you're propagating state updates as opposed to commands. And, uh, and Zeb was essentially a protocol to do that. What is the future of the data center and what is the future of distributed systems? You know, you're, you're at the forefront of working on these projects. Where do you think the macro environment of the data center and the distributed system is going right um okay so so that there are two things that, that come to mind uh one is is software defined anything right so there's this trend to uh, to make uh, everything like storage networking uh software defined and and the other one is is density which is essentially the container movement so making data centers denser. Um, th there is also okay. There's a third thing that just occurred to me that I, I think it's 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 quite important, um, which is the fact that we I think soon we'll have things like no uh, no volatile RAM uh, being commonplace in, uh, in 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 servers, and and uh, that if you start using that with uh, for example our DMA. You can start having systems that uh, that uh, operate at super high speed compared to what we have today. Fascinating. Um, and so, so you mentioned you mentioned Docker. What define data center density? All right. Um, if you if you're using just just VMs, I think I think the density of VMs per server today um, isn't very high. And I think one of the goals with containers is to actually uh, make it a lot higher, right? So I guess um, we're talking, I guess the difference is pretty dramatic. We're talking uh, from like tens uh, to thousands, uh, sorry, to hundreds, hundreds and even thousands maybe, right? So with VMs having like tens per, per server, um, you know, a server hosting uh, tens of, uh, of VMs versus servers uh, hosting like hundreds of, uh, of containers instead. And so, as I understand, the the big breakthrough of Docker was was not necessarily the, the the containerization technology itself, but rather the usability layer that's on top of the containers. Is that correct? That that's how I feel that as well. But um, uh, I, I would say that it has popularized the, the 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 container utilization. But I think you're absolutely right. It's is more about um, m making it uh, easier to use. Do you find it interesting that, like, you know, it, if it's essentially this usability layer on top of this thing that's, you know, it's classically been super useful. Like, I, I was talking to Eli Collins of Cloudera, and he was saying, yeah, we've been using containers for a really long time. It's great that Docker has made this popular, but these have been around for a long time. Does it make you wonder, like, what other technologies are there out there that are, like, potentially super useful but can't be used because they're not, I guess they don't have, like, a good usability layer on top of it? Yeah, and, and I think there is a human factor as well, um, in the sense that I, I, I've seen great projects that just don't fly because they don't have that special person who goes around advocating for it, you know? <laughs> so I think that that's true. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of great technology out there, but if you don't get, you know, if, if, you, if you don't have someone in, in the team that is, is very good at, a, at, a, at pitching it and, and, and talking about it and convincing others, then, uh, then you know, it might never fly. Yeah, and I guess it's also about the API, right? Like, like you know, Zookeeper has has become so popular. Maybe part of that is is because the API is you know is so good. It's and it's you know it could you know you could have a, a much worse, much more complex, burdensome API, but it's uh, it's much more user friendly. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of, yeah. So, so if you do the pitch without without the, the, the you know technology being being good, then of course there is no uh, you don't get a good outcome. So I, I agree with you. Yeah. So Zookeeper, the API of Zookeeper has been um, has been clearly one of the things that made it successful. That's great. Okay. So to close off, 
Um, I want to, as a theme, a motif of software engineering daily is to get an idea for how people can become better at working on projects uh, on their own and be focused on it. Because I think it's actually, I don't think, I think software engineers uh, aren't as autonomous, aren't as self-driven as maybe they should be. And, you know, you're a perfect example of somebody that's worked on on several projects, you've led several projects. And um, so I guess I'd like to get some idea of what are some like psychological ways that that you can become that uh, that a developer can become better at uh at improving their ability to to work on on difficult projects on their own yeah unfortunately i don't think i have a recipe for that um <laughs> i think one one advantage i've had is the fact that i was uh, i've been in a, in research organizations um you know for for many years and th- that kind of uh, of risk taking attitude is is pretty much mandatory and so and so you know we we had to come up with with new ideas and and because i was working in industrial labs they um you know so I, they were often being motivated by real problems that we were getting from broader groups and uh, and yeah, so so that was that was you know that's how we ended up or I ended up being you know, involved in all this uh, in all these projects. And also it was uh, super lucky of being Yahoo uh, during the time that you know all this big data movement was um, was sort of flourishing, right? So it was was coming up and and um, you know so we did Zookeeper at the at the right time. So it was good yeah, to okay. be part of that environment. So my last question. Is distributed systems more of a philosophy or a science? Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can tell you one thing. Um, I think actually some colleagues and I have been talking about this. Uh, so distributed systems is, is at a stage that um, I guess there is research to be done, but there, there's, we, we have a lot of systems out there that work, right? So, so you see distributed systems everywhere, right? So, as you're using your Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever social network you like or whatever online service you like, that's being served by 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 one or more distributed systems. Um, so, we do see the things uh, working in practice. That's different from the, the kind of stuff that uh, you go to conferences um, and and you don't see you don't see uh, as many of those. In your in your daily life, I don't know. So so I don't know if it, it, it's fair to say. I think it's like computer vision and so on. Which uh, um, I think that there's still, even though you do see some things uh, around that in in products, it's mostly uh, still in, a, in in the research space. So there's probably a lot to be learned still. Okay, fascinating. Well, Flavio Junquiera, thank you so much for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's uh, always fascinating and enlightening to talk to you. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jeff.